0: Welcome to Madison Church. I don't know if I introduced myself yet. I'm Stephen, lead founding pastor. I'm glad that you guys uh, are here. Last year, and, and really the last like year and a half, or we're finishing it up this fall, we went through Hebrews. and It was like a 30-week series, 30 parts to go through 13 chapters. It will be um, 30 parts. and During one of those messages, I opened up, and I don't expect any of you guys to remember. I don't know why I'm re-bringing this up, but um, I brought up Medicine and the wonky side effects that sometimes they have, and and that led us into a talk about how sometimes spiritually there are wonky side effects. I want to do something similar to open up today, but not medicine and not side effects. I want to talk about the weird warning labels that are put on your everyday household items. Okay, um, and I you know I want to warn you too because in case you have these items, you may not know about these warnings that are putting your life potentially in danger. Okay, first one here is a hair dryer. The warning label says, do not use while sleeping, ladies. I, it's not a problem I have to worry about, okay? So I'm just going to rule myself out. You know somebody tried this, though, right? Like, I mean, there's, there's a reason the warning label is on the box. Somebody tried this. They went to sleep. They turned the hairdryer on, and uh, it just it, it, it didn't go well. And now we have a warning on a box to just warn future generations of people um, that we don't sleep while using a hair dryer. Okay. Next one, Razor Scooter. Does anyone remember those from when you were a kid? The Razor Scooter. I mean, everyone had to have a Razor Scooter. Warning: This product moves when used. It's a little hard to read. This product moves when used. I really don't know what else to say about this. Yes, kids, Superman costume. This is an actual one I saw. I don't have the tag, but it says warning: Wearing of this garment does not allow children to fly. And I was wondering, is this a warning for the parent or the child? You know what I'm saying? Like, it could be either like, is it the child who's trying to fly or is it the parent who's like, yeah, let's see how this works. Okay, probably the most important one I'm going to show you today the scrubbing bubbles toilet brush, in which the second line up there says, do not use for personal hygiene. Okay, you've been warned. You've been warned, do not use your toilet scrub for personal hygiene. Hopefully, you've never made that mistake, but if you have, We can course correct right now, okay? Um, And you can probably guess where we're heading today. We're talking about a warning that Jesus gives, um, which may sound silly. The first time I read it, it's going to sound just as silly as maybe some of those, um, but it's just as serious maybe um, as going to sleep with a hairdryer on. And so today we're concluding our series, The Lake Effect. And we've been looking at a number of interactions over the past few weeks of Jesus and his followers that occurred along the shore of Galilee. So to recap the last few weeks very quickly here, um, we talked about how Jesus called his first disciples right there on the Sea of Galilee. He comes up to them, he finds his first followers, and he says, hey, follow me. And they ditch their nets, they ditch their family, and they come follow him. And we talked about how when we're following Jesus. Jesus. um, you know, it's about following him. It's not just about saying a certain prayer one time, it's not just about checking a box one time. A long time ago, following Jesus is active and it's what we do every day. And then we talked about weathering the storms of life. We talked about, hey, you're gonna go through storms. Some of you are starting a storm, some of you are getting out of a storm, some of you are in the middle of a storm, but regardless, doesn't matter who you are, we're all going gonna go through storms of life. And and Jesus teaches us how to go through the storms of life well. And last week Sarah talked about walking on water and having faith. And I thought that was really great. And throughout the study, we've talked about the big problem, and you can see the graph on the screen. The big problem in the United States is that studies show anywhere from two thirds to three fourths are Christians, or they would identify as Christian. That's not necessarily the problem. The problem is is that most of them, according to this Barna study, show that uh, most of Christians, you know, seven, almost seventy five percent, three fourths, have more of the attitudes and actions of the Pharisees of religious leaders. So most of the people who identify as a Christian actually look more like the religious lead of Jesus' day, which were constantly antagonizing Jesus and Jesus was constantly antagonizing them. We look more like that than Jesus and the warning throughout this whole series when we're looking at these geographically around the Sea of Galilee, but the warning is like, hey, it's possible in this country for us to be comfortable enough to say I'm a Christian and not look anything like Jesus and that's a problem because we're not just Christians, it's not just something we check, right? We're followers of Jesus, and so we should look more like Jesus than we do the Pharisees. And in today's final week, we're looking at the last story of series. Or, sorry, last week of our series, and we're talking about the warning that Jesus gave his followers. We're going to Matthew 16. If you want to follow along, you can use your Bible, Bible app. We've got Bibles around you, and if you didn't know, you can take those Bibles. Uh, They're absolutely free. If you need a Bible, take one. And if you're watching online, we will have the words on the screen. For you, and it's at this point in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter sixteen, Jesus is well on his way. I mean, we're we're more than halfway through Matthew at this point, so Jesus is well on his way. He's doing the miracles, he's doing the teachings, he's doing this and that. And our story begins in verse five. Later, after they, Jesus and his disciples, crossed to the other side of the lake, that is the Sea of Galilee. The disciples discovered they had forgotten to bring any bread. No, no dinner. Watch out, Jesus warned them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And at this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Okay, so kind of a, a, a weird scene, for sure. Okay, well, I, at least I hope you think it's weird because it is. One, I have no idea what the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees have to do with us not bringing dinner. Right, because that's kind of the problem. They get to the other side of the lake. Presumably, there's not just a shop around the corner. Presumably, there's not a McDonald's that they can just go through drive-through. And so they're like, "Oh, we don't have any dinner." And and we read a lot in the Bible how Jesus is eating. So I think it's safe to somewhat presume he gets hangry. And so the disciples are kind of you know guessing this is going to happen. He's going to be hungry. We got to get dinner. And they said, "We don't. Oh, nobody brought dinner." And uh, and Jesus comes and he says, "Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees." And you're like, well, that's weird, because if we were going to go out and buy bread somewhere, it probably wouldn't be from the religious leaders. Like, we'll go to them for another reason. But this is kind of like the equivalent of you guys being like, I don't have any dinner. And so what do you do? You're like, well, let's go to Stephen's house. Well, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe, but I'm probably not your first guest. You probably go to a grocery store, fast food, something, right? And so that's had to be what they were thinking of. And so they start arguing. I'm guessing it's kind of amongst themselves, because... They're arguing, and then all of a sudden we read what Jesus says, continuing in verse 8. Jesus knew what they were saying. So again, this obviously they're not arguing to him or with him. He knew what they were saying, and he said, you have so little faith. Why are you arguing with each other about having no bread? Don't you understand even yet? Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves and the baskets of leftovers you picked up? Or the 4,000 I fed with seven loaves? and the large baskets of leftovers you picked up, why can't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? So again, I say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And at this point, if you're reading a little bit of frustration in Jesus, you're correct. You're reading correctly. Whereas last week, he asked Peter, you have little faith. It wasn't like a condemnation. It was a teaching moment. Here, it is a little bit more pointed. If you read it right, feel it right, he is a little frustrated. Because at this point, again, Jesus is well on his way. And who has had a first row seat to everything he's done? These guys right here. And now they get to the other side of the lake and it's like, they've already forgotten all of the miracles that Jesus doesn't need you to go to the store and buy some bread. He could just do it right here and now. And he says, remind you, I I didn't have to just feed 12 people. I've fed 9,000 people before, okay? And you had leftovers. He says, it's not about bread. And I think that part of this is that Jesus knows. He's coming toward the end of his mission here on earth, right? So he's, he's doing the miracles and everything, and he's trying to get it through their head. He's like, I need you guys to be able to remember this without me always reminding you of the miracles I did. Because what's going to happen? I'm going to die on the cross. And he keeps telling them that, and they still don't believe him, right? And, and they go into a whole weekend of lamenting. We followed the wrong guy. And then he raised from the dead. He's like, no, I told you this was going to happen. Here I am. And I think what he's trying to do here is say, there's going to be a day Right now you have a front row seat. You can see me do a miracle. You can see me heal. You can see me do all of these things. Pete's going to walk on water. Has. You've seen that. But there's going to be a day I'm not going to be around you like this. There's going to be a day where you're not going to just walk up to me and be able to high-five me, hug me, hear directly from me. There's not going to be a day where you're going to ask me a specific question. I'm going to be able to give you a specific answer because I won't be here on earth anymore. And I think he's trying to just emphasize to them, I need you to start thinking a little bit more proactively about what I've already done. So when you come into these situations where it's unknown, where are we going to get dinner tonight? It's not oh, we screwed up and there's nothing we can do. It's remind ourselves of what Jesus has already done and what he is capable of doing. And so then, here's the thing, in the past, Jesus has had to explain his parables to his disciples. If you've read through any of the Gospels, I wouldn't presume that you all have, but there comes a time where Jesus tells a story and his disciples are like, duh, what? And he's like, okay, let me explain it to you. And then he does it again, and I'll tell you a story. And they're like, hmm, I don't quite understand. Jesus, could you just tell me plainly? And he goes, okay, fine. Well, in this case, he doesn't have to do it. You can tell the disciples are learning and growing because in verse 12, then at last they understood he wasn't speaking about the yeast and bread. Ah, ha, ha. Jesus is doing one of those metaphor things again, they tell themselves. That's my paraphrase. And he goes, this is about the deceptive teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus was trying to warn them not about yeast or where you're going to go get the bread. Don't get the bread from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Rather, he is warning them through metaphor about the deceptive teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And certainly in the series, we've talked about the Pharisees, and you might say, okay, yes, I know they were the religious leaders, but what specifically does that mean? I'll give you the quick story right now. Um, Briefly acquainted with the Pharisees. The Pharisees taught that to be good with God, for you to be right with God, you had to work really, really super duper hard. Um, Here's a popular piece of workout equipment. You ever see a Stairmaster before? Any of you guys have a Stairmaster in your home somewhere? You guys go to the gym, ever use a Stairmaster? Anyone ever go to the gym? Okay, good, good. We're all on the same page here. We don't go to the gym. We don't use Stairmaster. Okay, so what you do with this piece of machinery, since you don't know, is you walk on it and it's like those stairs just continue to rotate. So it's just like, it's a workout of you just constantly walking upstairs. And this is kind of, this is the, the spirituality. This is the faith of Pharisees. It's constantly working. It's never arriving. You're just going to keep going over and over and over again. There is no destination. We're just going to keep working. It was all about you. It was all about you being good. And how did you be good? Well, they had 613 religious rules for you to follow. You didn't have to guess what they thought about any subject. They would tell you. um, Out of those rules, 248 of those things, 248 were things that you had to do. So out of the 600, 248, and then 365 of those things were things that you don't do. So it's more important that you didn't do certain things than it was that you did things, okay? That, I think, is kind of telling of how they thought about God. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, Make sure you do that. But back to the don't list, and the don't list is way bigger than the do list, And so you had to work really hard at it. You had to earn it. That was no mistake about it, that when it came to the the faith of the Pharisees, you had to earn it. They might have said, no pain, no gain. Here's our Stairmaster spirituality. Now, let's go to the Sadducees. Um, We don't know a whole lot about them, but we do know that they did not, they were not fans of the 613 laws of the Pharisees, as you could imagine, right? There's a a group that says, I don't know about that. (laughs) And so they only recognize a certain amount of laws. They kind of boiled it down, more simplified, and they definitely... Definitely opened it up to interpretation. Now, something like, don't murder, okay, that's black and white, we're not going to murder. But some of these other things that say, well, who knows, who knows, right? It was kind of very open and uninterpreted and vague. And that meant that Sadducees, depending on which Sadducee you went to, would have a different kind of theology. Kind of different rules, things to do, things to don't do, but it was, it tended to be more free. And so if the Pharisees taught a stairmaster spirituality. I want you to think of the Saddu- Sadducees as a lounge chair spirituality, a lounge chair spirituality. And essentially what the Sadducees would say is, I'm good, you're good, we're good, it's all good. It was just basically whatever you think, okay? Um, and, and I think that the Sadducees type of spirituality, that faith, is probably more common in our circles today, at least in our society, living in a city um, like Madison, in which many of us live in Madison, around the area. Um, we would prefer defining faith as like, I'm okay with God, and, and that definition is left up to me. Like I read these things in the Bible, and I'm going to kind of pick and choose some of the things that I'm going to follow, and that that still means something today. And then in other times, no, I don't really like that, and I'm not going to. And for more kind of information and a deeper study, we did do a series called "How Not to Read the Bible," in which we went into saying, well, why why is it that some Christians believe in these things and not these things, and and vice versa? And we talked about how you know this is how we should understand that. Okay, so that's already recorded. We talked about that, but I think that we have a lot of this kind of Sadducee faith, which is just like, well, my faith is my faith, and your faith is your faith, and whatever works for you works for you, and whatever works for me works for me. And Jesus warns us about both. In the sentence, he doesn't say, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees, or watch out for the feast of the Sadducees. He says, watch out for the yeast of both of them. Watch out, because both of them have a deceptive kind of side to their teaching. He says, in the same breath, they have one very important thing in common, and both of them Both of these religious people teach that what matters most to God, what matters most to God is being good enough. What matters to God is being good enough. With the Pharisees, there are 613 things you got to do or don't do to be good enough for God. And if you do these things and you don't do these things, eventually you can earn your way. And there's like a little bit of a spiritual scorecard, right? And you've got these guys who are really good at not doing those things or doing these things. And so they're better. They're closer to God. God likes them better. And that's kind of what the Pharisees were teaching. Whereas even with the Sadducees, it was kind of a reverse of that. It wasn't a matter of being good enough. It was kind of like, just don't be a bad person. And I think a lot of us would maybe even relate to that. Just don't be a bad person. But even in saying that, we're saying, okay, so you still got to be good to a certain point. I mean, because you can't be totally awful. You got to be good to a certain point. And that's what the Sadducees were trying to say. And so Jesus warned his followers then, and he warns us now about a spirituality of being good enough. He says, don't buy into it. That That's a deceptive teaching. This idea that you have to be good enough. This idea that you can't even be good enough. Now, Stairmaster people, I know you're in the room. You you think that I've got to do these things or I don't do these things. And if I do or I don't, then I'm gonna eventually be good enough for God, or or God's not gonna be angry to me. You're in traffic one day and your car breaks down. These are Stairmaster people, right? What did I do wrong? Right? That's what we're thinking. I get this, I start getting the sore throat and it turns out to be COVID. And I think, did I make God mad? And it's not like that. Where it's like with the Sadducees and, and the other way it can kind of become a little bit of a lazy faith in terms of we don't understand the depravity of our sin. Like we've all we talk about this and, and everyone would agree. We're like, yes, I've made mistakes. I mean, unless you're like a truly like clinically diagnosed narcissist in the room, we're all gonna say, yes, I've made mistakes. I've hurt people, I've done things, I've done things that I recognize that I've done that's wrong. Or and and I think a lot of us are are humble enough to recognize I've probably said and done things that have hurt people that I'm not even aware of. Like that one comment or that one look I gave someone, and and it probably hurt them. And so we've all sinned, and it's not just doing each other wrong. It's God has a way in which the world would operate in which there's no sin and death, but we continue to make selfish choices. And with the Sadducees kind of laid back, just don't be a bad, bad person. It really waters down this idea that like, you know, sin is a big deal. Sin is a big deal. We've broken the world. And I think that anytime you turn on the news and you see something bad going on, like just terrible stuff going on in the world, we might say, well, it's that person who's doing that. Well, it's that country that's doing that. Well, people shouldn't do that. But we have to remember the driving force behind that. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's very clear the driving force behind all the pain and suffering in the world and all the bad and evil stuff is sin. And the sin just doesn't hurt us here on earth, but it has a ripple effect into eternity. And so if we have the Pharisee type of faith, the Stairmaster, we think that I can earn more of God's love, and if anything bad happens to me, it's because I messed up, and that's not true. With the Sadducees, we're just kind of like, it's all good. Don't worry about it. It waters down sin. And what Jesus is saying is, no, there's this third way. There's this better way of understanding all of these things. And so you cannot hear this too many times today. Jesus taught that an authentic relationship with God Jesus taught that your authentic relationship with God is not about you being good enough. It's not about you being good enough. If that's something that you're holding onto today, that you think that someday you're going to wake up, you're going to cross some sort of um, spiritual finish line, you're going to finally be good enough, I hate to burst your bubble, it's never ever going to happen, and Jesus never said that it would. You're never going to wake up and just be good enough based on what you do or don't do. Jesus taught that an authentic relationship with God starts with the realization that Yeah, it won't be good enough. I can't fix this. I can't just stop sinning. What if I could? And it goes to the point of saying that I'm even going to sin even when I don't realize it. I'm going to hurt people even when I don't realize it. I'm going to do something that's against what God would have for me even when I don't realize it. And I can't ignore that. I can't ignore it, Sadducees. I can't work my way out of it, Pharisees. And Jesus came to show us grace because now it's not about you not not being a terrible person, and now it's not about you being this really great person, but it's about grace. It's not about something you do, but it's about something that God has done. We need to remember that when we're trying to be good enough, it's not about what I do. My faith is not about what I do. Other world religions, I've talked about this in the past, so I won't unpack it a lot, but other world religions have this one thing in common, which is about something that you do or don't do. In Christianity, we, we try to be like them, Right, We have religious people. We try to be like them, whether it's the Pharisees or the Sadducees, and we're like, it's about what you do or what you don't do. But in Christianity, Jesus constantly reminds us, no, 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 it's not about what you do. It's about what I've done already for you. And I offer that to each and every person. And so he wanted his followers then and there, thousands of years ago. He wants you today, me and you, to realize that we have this free and unmerited favor of God. Jesus knows that the Pharisees, that the Stairmaster people in the room, and I'm one of the Stairmaster people, in case you were wondering if that wasn't clearly evident. I'm a Stairmaster person. I want to know that if I do a bunch of good things, that God's going to be pleased with me. And if I don't do bad things, then bad things aren't going to happen. And that's, that's broken human Stephen theology. So that's not true. And what Jesus confronts in me is that you just have free favor. You can't earn it, Stephen, and you can't lose it. So when you screw up, it's not the end of the world. Don't lay in bed in the middle of the night and be like, Oh my gosh, how am I ever going to make that up to God? God says, because of grace, I've freely, I've, I've forgiven you. I forgave you for that thousands of years ago. And I can't just be laying in bed thinking about how awesome I am, which is more preferential of the two. I can't be thinking about how awesome I am and like, Oh God, I must be God's, you know, anointed and appointed and chosen and favorite because that's not true either. And Jesus knew that the Pharisees, they were missing out on him. The Pharisees were missing out on Jesus because they thought that they had to earn God's love. And Jesus was there and they would not believe that Jesus just freely gave this gift. And the Sadducees missed him as well. So beware. Beware of lounge chair spirituality in which you say, as long as I'm not a terrible person, I'm covered. And beware of the Stairmaster spirituality, which says I can earn more of God's favor somehow." Beware, as Jesus says, of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees, for they both have missed the boat on this gift of grace that is just freely given and offered to every single one of us. And before we conclude, I just want to remind you that grace isn't just about your relationship with God. I think we can kind of start to get there where it's like we can remind ourselves as we're thinking about the things I should do, shouldn't do. I'm like, no, no, wait, that's right. It's grace. I'm covered in grace. God has made me right in his eyes because of what he has done. But I want to say that you should have grace toward yourself. You should have grace toward yourself. I think that we can have a pharisaical view of ourselves as well or a, a Sadducee type of view where maybe we're like, oh, I'm not a bad person, so I, I guess I'm okay. Or we're like, uh, and again, this goes back to me, kind of the staircase mentality, which is like I got to do certain things for me to have worth. And if I don't do certain things, I don't have worth. And if I do those things and nobody sees me do those things, do I really have worth because I need other people to affirm in me that I have worth? And and what I'm trying to say and what I think God leads by example is saying, show grace for yourself. Because there are going to be tons of times when you're not enough, whatever that is. There are going to be times in your life you're not smart enough. There are going to be times in your life you're not thin enough, not pretty enough, not athletic enough, not tough enough, not popular enough, not successful enough. There are going to be times in your life you don't feel loved enough. There are going to be all of those times. You're not going to want to give yourself grace for that. But the pain of that, and it becomes normal. And it was never meant to be normal. It was never meant for you to just cope with this idea that, oh, I'm never going to be good enough. But to realize that even when we're having that feeling, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, that should be an indication. That should be your reminder. When you feel like I'm not enough, remind yourself of God's grace. I'm okay with that. I may have come up short here. I may feel like I'm not enough. And that's my spirit's way of reminding me of God's grace. And God's grace continually frees me and lets me know that just because of who I am, I am enough. And so some of us, we want to push ourselves more and more so we can buy more in hopes of feeling like we'll, we'll be more. That might be a downfall. I'm going to work harder, have more money, can buy a bigger house, newer car, whatever. And then eventually maybe I'll feel like I'm enough. And, and we know from people who are very, very wealthy, very, very wealthy around the world that that's not the case because they're still looking for their next step, and they're they're building spaceships and going to outer space. They're still looking for what's that next step so that I feel enough, but other people try to escape it and say, I'll never be enough. And so they turn to addiction, they turn to drugs, alcohol, giving themselves away sexually, They just anything to just block out this feeling of, of I'm not enough. And I want to say, no matter what side of the spectrum you float to, and I think that we all kind of float to one side or the other, that God is telling you today, you are enough. You are enough. Grace isn't just a theological concept. That's why I haven't given you a working definition of grace today. It's not just a theological concept. It's meant to be the basis of your entire life, your identity in Christ. God wants to teach you that you are enough and that your true identity is found in Him. The God who made you, who knows you, loves you as you are. And so being a follower of Jesus is It's not just a matter of personal faith either. I mean, it's about having our identity in God. So we talk about following Jesus. We got to remember that it's not just about following him. That's a big part of it, but that our identity is found only in God.